Well, did you know that uh, the book of Philippians in the Bible is often called the joy book? The book of Philippians, a lot of people refer to it as this book of joy. Now, you might have heard that. He talks about rejoicing and joy and all these sorts of things. But do you know where that book is written from? The book of Philippians? It's written from prison. Okay? So the book of joy was written from jail. Uh, Now, that might not be the kind of thing, even as we're thinking through what joy is, hopefully that can even start to help us to understand joy isn't about everything going right. Joy isn't about being cheerful and happy all the time. That's not the point of joy. But Paul, who wrote that book, rejoices in prison because the gospel was being preached. He was so laser-focused on the good news of Jesus. For him, he was like, as long as the good news is going out from other people and I have an opportunity to preach the gospel here in this place, I don't care, he said, whether I live or die, that I rejoice in all of these things because I know the good news is going out there. Because it is the good news of Jesus that will actually transform lives from both now and eternity. And he knows that's going out. And so then he is filled with joy. Jesus, our God, as he is here in the flesh, when he was here in the flesh, he suffered greatly. Jesus himself suffered greatly, yet it says he considered it joy, even to go to the cross. He considered it joy. Now, just remember, Jesus, okay, he he experienced physical pain, extreme physical pain, emotional pain, grief, Betrayal, abandonment, disappointment, all of these sorts of things that we would think, that's not my joyful day, right? That's not the joyful season of my life. He experienced all of that, yet he considered it joy to even go to the cross. We worship a God who understands those hard parts. We worship a God who has experienced suffering. And joy does not make light of that. And I want us to talk about that. So again, if we haven't met yet, my name is Eric Wakeling, and I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church. And we are talking about this God joy, this this special kind of joy. And this God joy can strengthen us in our suffering. It will give us strength even in those seasons of suffering. And so we are going to talk about that and break some of that down a little bit today because it's not if we suffer, it's when we suffer. That even God acknowledges that we will, we will suffer. We will experience these hardships, but God's joy can strengthen and sustain us through it all and give us that strength that we need. Uh, So you remember, okay, so last week we talked about this whole thing of like, Throw a party, right? Throw a party because of what God has done. And this priest tell the people, like, stop crying. Don't cry anymore. They're weeping because they've heard from God's word. And they're convicted and moved. They have guilt. That Then don't just sit in that. No, no, no. Don't just sit there and cry. But have that move to repentance, which leads to forgiveness, which we celebrate. And we throw a party about that. But then today you might be asking this, like, you know, but hey, I don't feel like partying, you know. I don't feel like this is a season in my life where 
I want to do that, or I can do that. I don't think I can celebrate anything in this time. And so I want to tell you that this, this message of God joy speaks into that. That it gives us this freedom and guilt, freedom from guilt and strength in these moments of suffering. And so we're going to talk about that today and a little bit even next week of some of the more of the ways that, that we can be strengthened in the midst of that. And so the Bible talks about, it talks about joy in the wilderness. It talks about joy in trials. It talks about joy in the morning after a night of sorrow. The Bible speaks into all these sorts of moments and that there is this time for sorrow. This whole thing of Nehemiah 8 where the priests say to stop crying. When they say stop crying, it wasn't stop crying about something horrible that's happened in your life. That wasn't what they were saying. They weren't saying stop crying because you've experienced loss or stop crying because someone has betrayed you or stop crying because you've been abused. No, no, they're saying stop crying in this moment of being moved and convicted by, by the scriptures. They're saying stop crying and celebrate that. That's a good thing. It doesn't say stop crying about these hard things in your life. There is a time to weep and to keep on weeping and to weep together, right? There's, there's, no, there's no minimizing of this. There is a season for weeping, and we don't celebrate, you know, sin or hurt. We don't have a party about that. No, we celebrate the forgiveness from a God who is very present and powerful in our lives. That's what we celebrate. But we need him. We long for more of him. My, my own family, my wife and I, we've, we've experienced suffering in our lives. We've experienced losing people we love. We've experienced being like, betrayed by people that we care about. We've experienced um, all sorts of hard things, losing jobs, struggling with debt, uh, you know, abuse, all sorts of different things in our lives. We've experienced a lot of different kinds of suffering. And this message of joy is still deep in our hearts. But I want to just tell you a little bit of a story. I've told some of you might know some of this story. But for us, like the story that's in our life that is kind of was like our like deepest moments uh, of suffering together in our family was, um, I'll, I'll just kind of tell, talk it through. So we got, we got married really, really young, 22 and 21. It's wild. I don't recommend for some of you over here. Okay, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, so, uh, but like we got married really young. And so we wanted to wait, like we waited, like wanted to wait five years till we um, began to have children and everything was going perfectly according to plan. And so we got pregnant. Ha our daughter Grace was born. And then uh, we wanted to have two kids, two years apart and we're out, right? We're done. And so that was the plan. And then, um, you know, a couple years later, uh, we, we got pregnant again. Everything was going great and according to plan. And so we're starting to kind of, you know, get ready and prepare for all of that. I remember we, so we went to Ikea and, because uh, that's where you go to prepare for life. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's also where you go to have your marriage tested. And so you go and you, you know, you make sure God is present with you. <laughs> but, um, but that day, we went to Ikea in some of our nesting, and um, before we went through the labyrinth, we, um, I remember Bea going into the bathroom, and, jeez, it's a 17-year-old story. <laughs> it's a 17-year-old story, and I still start to feel it. 
So she came out of the bathroom, and she said, and she's crying. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, like, what, what's happening? And she said, they're spotting. And I'm like an idiot guy. Like, I don't even understand what that means. And just trying to, like, process and, and figure out, I, like, what do you mean? She's like, there's blood. And that's not good. And that means we could have be losing that baby. And, and then we just, like, walked out. And we're just like, I don't know, what's going on? And so we, she goes to the doctor, and it's confirmed that there's no heartbeat. Um, the baby, we lost that baby. And it wasn't super far along, but it was far enough along that she had to have that DNC procedure, the surgical procedure, to remove the baby from her. And it's just really traumatic, like that whole process, really traumatic. And for us, like that was super, super hard. Like, we were crushed. I remember just weeping and weeping over this. And as, like, I remember even as time went on, we would see those, uh, like, a bunch of our friends had kids around that same age. And I remember sitting in this room, like, because our kids went to Calvary Christian School and watching, like, the little Christmas school program that our um, kids were in other ages, and just remember seeing when those kids were up there singing, and I was just watching, and I remember like crying, <laughs> crying in the seat, because I was thinking, like, I should have a kid up there, you know? I should have a kid up there. And those kids, like, those kids that are part of that age group, I love those kids. I rejoice and celebrate with all those families. Those are, like, some of my favorite people on earth, those 17-year-old kids. Um, and, but I remember just crying, just feeling that, that loss. And we were blessed by God with incredible girl Ella a couple years later. It was a struggle, but we were blessed by God with her. And I, I just, I still think though about how, I still think about that a lot. I still think about that child a lot. Um, I don't. And I guess I just want us just to pause and say, like, this kind of stuff is hard, right? This kind of stuff in our life is really hard. And it's really sad. And I also want to say, don't do suffering comparison. Okay? Even as I'm telling you that story, I'm just thinking about in my head, Oh, I got friends that had three or four miscarriages. Oh, I've got friends that lost a child like after that child had been born. I have people I know suffering with cancer. I got like, you know, and I'm just thinking through like, oh, like oh, my thing doesn't matter, you know. But don't do that. Like suffering comparison is 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 not good. Don't try to say that that your suffering doesn't matter because other people have suffered worse. I know. I know tons of people who have it worse, but I just know for us that was our like that was our moment of grief, of deep deep grief. And we've experienced other griefs as well in our life, but that was like deep loss. And we feel that. And we don't feel like partying in the midst of that. That's not that's not where we are. That's not how we feel. But what I deeply and strongly believe is that God is very present with me, with us, with you, in the midst of these kind of times. 
And so I want you to consider what is your desert moment? What is your area of your deep grief? What are those areas that you feel like God is just dead and distant and dry? And what can God do in the midst of that dead, distant, parched land? For us, it was that moment. But these moments are those parched lands of our lives. And God speaks to this in this passage that we've sung about already of Isaiah 35, 1 through 2. Isaiah 35 says, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely, and check this line out, and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. All right. Now, there's a few different kinds of deserts in the Bible, okay? There's a few words for desert in the Bible in the Hebrew language. There's, there's Midbar, Tzia, and Yeshimon. Midbar is like the sort of easiest desert, and that's the word you see there. It says wilderness. Then there's Tzia, which is kind of a little bit worse desert. It's a little harder to live in, harder to survive. That's the word where you see in bold desert. Then it says, uh, and then it says the Arabah in this. Well, the, the third one is called the Yeshimon. It's like the worst desert. You can't survive. You can't live. It's full. Just everything is dead. The Arabah is this region, this area of a desert near the Dead Sea and in the plains of Moab that are like just, you cannot survive. It is dead, dry. Even when you finally rush to find water, it's the Dead Sea and then you die again. Okay, you know, it's just like, it's the worst desert that you can live in. And so God is talking about here, Isaiah in Isaiah, about these, these horrible, unsurvivable, dry lands. Places that if you go, you will die. And what he says is, he will make these come to life again, and they will blossom with flowers. And then it says, you'll rejoice with rejoicing with lots of joy. Okay, if you see repetition in the Bible, you always want to stop and say, okay, what's going on here? Because repetition is for emphasis. Repetition in these ancient languages is all about emphasis. Like, let me make this stand out to you. And nothing stands out to me more than rejoice with rejoicing. It's the dumbest phrase ever when you think about it, right? Rejoice with rejoicing with shouts of joy. It's like that was unnecessary. Like your, your English teacher is probably like saying, you know, cut, cut, cut. Uh, you don't need the same word three times. But the Bible's like trying to make a point that in the midst of this dry and parched land, you will have rejoicing because why? Why will the desert shout for joy. Why will we be able to have this in the midst of it? It's in the next part. Isaiah 35, 3 through 4. It says, encourage the exhausted. This is the next verse, okay? They'll be rejoicing with lots of joy in the desert. And it says, encourage the exhausted. Is that you? Do you feel a sense of exhaustion? Strengthen the feeble. Or other translations say the weak knees. I feel a little of that today, actually. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. Your God will come. Take courage because your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. 
but he will save you. Your God will come. Your God has come. Your God is here. And your God will come. God will come. And he will come in strength and in power. And when your God comes, it says, when he will strengthen you, he will strengthen your weak knees, and this is what will come out of it, okay? It says, then, this is the very next verse, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. In the desert, water will come because your God has come and he will strengthen you. And that's what God brings. God says the oppressed will be liberated. Broken hearts will be healed. Justice will come for the abused and joy will come in the morning. Your powerful God will come to you. And his presence will be with you to strengthen you. And some of this is in the future, okay? Some of this, this talk and this is in the future when Jesus returns and sets everything right. And some of this is here. Now that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, providing us comfort and opening our eyes to see the beauty in the midst of difficulty, that we have in the here and now, the Holy Spirit has come and dwells within you and encourages you, and empowers you, that your God has come to be with you. And some of this is now when the people of God, as representatives of Jesus, bring a glimpse of this hope and healing into a broken world. And so that's a big part of our, our role as followers of Jesus, is that we bring the light of Christ into dark places. places. That's the message of the gospel and it's also the hands and feet of the gospel, the good news of Jesus as we bring light into dark places. That That is why Jesus could consider it all joy even as he goes to the cross because he knew that this good news of Jesus would bring that hope for you. That the, the presence of the Spirit within you would come. That you would have his grace and forgiveness in your life. That's why Paul could write about joy in prison. Because this is what he's saying matters most. That your God will come and he will change everything. He will change everything and he will be with you. I want to read uh, John 16, 19 to 24. Okay? This is a passage that um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper. Okay, right before he's right about to go and die upon the cross. And, you know, he's talking about how, like, in a little while I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to go to the Father. And they're, like, not getting it and, and understanding. And so Jesus says, says, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about that. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. 
When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you'll rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you'll ask the Father directly and he'll grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you'll receive and you will have abundant joy. And so Jesus knew that he was going to die. Jesus knew that the disciples still didn't really get this or understand what was going to happen or that he'd rise again with victory over death. And he knew that he'd be leaving again from them in that physical bodily form. But he also knew, and they grieved that, but he knew that he'd be giving the Holy Spirit. And so there's this, this thing where Jesus says, look, you're going to grieve now. But then like the third day happens and it's this explosion of joy. You're going to grieve even now as I ascend into heaven. But just wait, because you're going to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will dwell within you, and that is so good. That for us, it's like, it's really, really hard to understand the way God, like the way God's perspective works, okay? Because God's perspective just is, is like, just doesn't make sense to our, our minds and our ability to comprehend how our, our world works, but God has this eternal perspective that says like, no, 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 look, I, I've got something like so incredible for you. And you think of if God like, if God operates like thinking about like trillions of years, you know, or something like let's say God has this, this perspective of trillions of years. And he's like, you've got this suffering that's like this microscopic dot on this trillion year timeline. <laughs> and this feels like everything to you right now. But God like sees this, this line that goes all the way to the end of the room of just like unimaginable joy. You know, like you just, it's hard for us to get into that kind of, of understanding of how that works. But I don't want to use perspective as a, perspective can sometimes feel like a, like an abusive thing or like a weapon against like the suffering that we're feeling now. I don't, I don't mean it in that way. But I want us just to begin to understand that God, God knows that you are suffering now. But he has beautiful, beautiful joy for you in his presence now, as well as in his presence for eternity. These guys think all hope is lost, yet he's alive on the third day. And you might feel like all hope is lost in the stuff you're going through now, but Jesus brings you hope. Weeping will last for the night, but their shouts of joy rise up in the morning. And I think joy understands that there will be grief and there will be sorrow. But joy also knows deep down in this sort of yes for right now as well as not yet in the future sort of way that the pain of this world is temporary. Again, it's not an attitude that doesn't care about this world, but it's an attitude that has this healthy perspective. I think joy is a perspective that knows our God will come. He will come into the darkest parts of our lives and give healing into those parts or purpose or a small glimpse of light to run towards. God comes into those dark parts of your life and brings a light and brings a purpose that brings this spark of joy for you. And his presence is with us. Because I like this line I heard recently that God doesn't always resolve things 
But God always redeems things. God doesn't always make it better, right, in the, just, or the way we'd want. God doesn't always resolve things, but God always redeems things. Your God will come, and he will redeem everything. Your God will come. And so we ask, though, then, okay, so how do we prepare ourselves for enduring this kind of suffering in the here and now? How do we, how do we like, build up some of that resolve or strength in the midst of that suffering? Like, is there anything I can do to, to work on that? And what I would say is this. We suffer on purpose to find joy. Now, let me explain that a little bit, okay? Because there's this suffering on purpose to find joy. This has a physical element to it and a spiritual element to it. Now, I have been experiencing this lately a lot as I prepare for my Ironman triathlon that I'm trying to do on June 12th, okay? Suffering on purpose to build strength that will lead to joy. Now, because um, it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot. And um, so this whole like Ironman triathlon, uh, it's like 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a full 26.2 mile marathon. All right. So the goal is to do that on June 12th. Now, so therefore I have been suffering on purpose. <laughs> okay. Suffering on purpose, placing myself into positions of suffering to build that strength and resolve. And, um, and it's hard. Like yesterday I ran 18 miles after the day before riding my bike 90 miles and swimming a mile and a half. And I, I'm like the weak, feeble knees. I need, you know, I need my God to come and to strengthen me in the midst of that. And so you feel that. Um, but what I want you to understand about that is like that actually, like, that actually works. When we suffer on purpose— we do find strength. And then the creepy part about people that like to do this kind of triathlon stuff is that we actually have joy. Like I wake up yesterday knowing I have an 18-mile run ahead of me, knowing I had just done all that stuff the day before. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. I'm excited about it. You know it's going to be hard, but you're also excited about it. And that's, I know for some of you, you're like, you're a freak. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, get off the stage. I don't trust you. You've lost all your ethos as a communicator. But like, <laughs> at the same time, that's, that's true. And that's true. You get this, this joy that comes from that. And now it's like, I'm healthy I'm filled with joy at the thought of a long run. The suffering is making me stronger. It's just what happens. When you lift weights, it actually like tears, I think, your muscles. And then as it tears, it heals and it gets bigger. I don't do a lot of weights. Let's not, no zoom ins, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, uh, <laughs> but like that's, what, that's what happens. And the muscles, get, the muscles get bigger as that like tearing and healing, tearing and healing that our suffering builds our strength, builds our resolve, builds our resiliency, that that, that is just naturally what happens. And um, so that, that kind of spiritual training, I mean that physical training, but then you think about spiritually, what does that look like? Because we're not just talking about exercising here. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, for physical training is of some value. Okay? Not value less, of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
Okay, so you have this, like it's saying this physical training is good. It does have value. It will help you. It will make you more healthy. It will build you up. It will build your strength in that way. But godliness has value for all things, both here and now and in the life to come. And so we need to place ourselves into intentional suffering, suffering on purpose in this spiritual way, in our spiritual training, as much as we would in our physical training. And what that looks like is a term that you might have heard called spiritual disciplines, or what we just maybe call spiritual practices, all right? There are these things that we can practice and do that we can express discipline. This is not you being disciplined, <laughs> okay, like you're in trouble. This is having discipline, learning these disciplines or practices that can help help us build us up. Like for some of us, like the like ensuring that the first thing that we do each day would be to spend a little time in prayer and then the reading of God's word. That is a discipline. You have to wake up and not grab your phone and look at social media, okay, or read the news or whatever. You need to have the first thing of your day. Be disciplined to start your day in prayer in that way. I try to like always, every single day, start my day with the Lord's Prayer. Because when I first wake up, it's really hard for me to think of any other words to say. And Jesus said, here's some good words. Here's some words for you. Use these words that I have given you and pray them. And it just focuses me of my whole, my whole day and the way I'm going to live my life is going to be based off your kingdom come, your will be done, that God will provide for me, that I want his glory, right? All of that. That's just like me saying, okay, this is how my day is going to start. That's a discipline. But we, we have to use these disciplines to, to be able to help us to grow in godliness. And so that could be things like Sabbath, making sure you take a day each week of just rest with the Lord. That this afternoon, that's what you can do. You could just live out Sabbath. It could be something like silence and solitude. That you say, okay, Lord, I need to just... Be, go and be quiet and be alone and maybe even not talk a lot to God, but just sit, just sit and listen. Just sit and listen. It could be fasting. It could be not eating or, not, or giving up of something else as a discipline to help you in your prayer life, in connection with the Lord. Okay, we, we actually, like, we're going to... Um, at the end of summer, like in the fall, we've got planned to do a whole series on spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Kind of help us with some of this because it's really important for us. So we want to spend a little bit of time on that. But I want you to start thinking through for yourself how can you bring these into, incorporate these into your own life. Because we learn to be utterly dependent on God in moments of physical and spiritual training. And that dependence builds your trust and strength in God, okay? That is what we need to be able to do, both in physical and spiritual training. And so to think through for you, how can you incorporate some intentional suffering into your life, all right? So I think, like, even think through physically. Is there something physically? Like, I know... Um, Greg Clark runs Up and Running Again, which is a ministry that helps people that live um, in, in homeless shelters, homeless programs, rescue mission programs, um, to be able to go from homeless 
to half marathon, up and running again, from homeless to half marathon. And so they, they work like people who have been coming off drugs, living on the streets, to be able to train towards running a half marathon. And then it incorporates like some discipleship into that process of the time, but it also is helping, like helping people that are in a really hard part of their life build up from where they were and learn some discipline, learn how to do hard things, get physically healthy, and feel like you can accomplish these goals set before you, and also doing that within a, a Christian, um, God-honoring community. And that, I think that's amazing. And that really, really, like, is important. And so if it's important for people living in a rescue mission, it's also probably a little bit important for you as well, okay? This isn't just only for people living in a rescue mission. That we need to, like, even see how we can incorporate some of that into our lives. I think it will help. Because it says physical training is of some value, but the real value then comes into how you can incorporate some of these spiritual disciplines into your life. And so I encourage you in that to see, okay, how can that be uh, something that I'll, I'll take on in my life from a spiritual discipline or if I'm just going to go and take a walk three times a week or something like that. Whatever level that could be, incorporate some of that into your faith. Um, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, um, here's a couple ways, I, I think, ways to respond today. One, I, I think it'd be good to just sit with this passage, Isaiah 35. It's an incredible passage. Just sit with it, read it, marinate, you know, in it and meditate on the words of it. Spend some time in prayer in Isaiah 35. Know that your God will come. And then begin to practice a spiritual discipline, whatever that could be, to help you train for godliness. Something with the Bible reading, prayer, fasting, silent solitude, whatever that could be. Practice something like that. And we're going to now respond by putting our focus onto Jesus and onto the gospel through taking communion together, okay? What, what I love is like how Jesus and the Apostle Paul had this laser focus on the gospel, and that helped them to consider all things joy no matter what. Well, we have that ability now as well, as we are reminded when we take communion, when we drink, when we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we were reminded of what Jesus has done, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he shed his blood for us. But we also remember that he rose again on the third day. And so when we remind ourselves of this, we remind ourselves of the power of God, the presence of God in our lives, and it will help us even in those moments of suffering. And so the way we're going to do this today is we have some stations around the room. We're it's not like how we're going to be doing it every single time or anything like that, but we're just, we're trying some stations around the room that have both the prepackaged little um, communion elements as well as the matzah bread and the juice in the cup separately. And so we'll, we're going to sing a couple songs. You just have some time and you have some time at, through this just to be able to get up and go to one of the stations, grab communion elements, and then take communion um, uh, whenever you feel like you're ready during this time of worship. Okay. So let's pray together and respond. Lord God, we, we just know we're all in different places with the things that we're going through in our lives. 
we have hurts and struggles and suffering, Lord. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your power and your presence will meet each person in the depths of their heart, in the depths of their pain, and give them comfort, give them hope, give them love, but just give them you, Lord, as you promise that you will come and you will be present in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be deeply aware of you, that you would help us to know that in our heads and feel it in our hearts, God, that you are with us. And so, God, now as we come to the table, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, Lord, may we remember what you have done and how much what you have done through your life, death, and resurrection changes everything and gives us hope for an eternity of no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, but complete, fulfilled joy in you, Lord. Let us fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.